and then Philippians. We will read through the first chapter uh, of this in just a second. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads before you and before your word, the truth that is there for us, given to us, revealed to us, as how we as your people are to live, how we are to minister, how we are to live among ourselves and before the watching world. And we ask that you would teach us and illumine us from this message, this speaker, these hearers, all of us here, Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who know Christ sincerely, wait to hear what you have to say to us, how your instruction will lead and direct us through this coming year. And may you be glorified in our individual lives, in our family lives, in our community life, and in the life of this church, so that we are a beacon of your hope to a fallen or broken world that needs hope desperately. Bless us in this, and in this brief endeavor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a few things before we read the Word of God. Um, I want to ask you to please remember that we have a lay counseling ministry here at Cornerstone. Uh, myself and Jeff McGee and Evelyn Sojay are, are the lay counselors here. And in this time of the holiday season, when things are a little bit hard sometimes, uh, we are all busy people, but we will be happy to take some time with you uh, if you need to talk with someone about what's going on in your life. Uh, so, um, remind you also that the adult Sunday school class is starting up this next Sunday. We will be in the book of Ephesians. Amazing. Uh, and if you'll read through the first chapter or two before you get there, that'll be great. If you have your Bibles open, if you would. Stand with me, please, and honor the reading of the Word of God, and we'll read through the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, and which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. 
in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of, our, of your salvation, have also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, which exi exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a, special, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, which he raised when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put all things in subject, subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. I want to introduce to you Max. Max is, was raised as a citizen of Uzbekistan. Uh, in his younger life, Max was a troubled young man for a number of reasons and became kind of a thug in the local neighborhood, pushing people around, getting into fights, arguing, just mean-spirited, just, yeah. Uh, in his search for some understanding about what's going on with him and trying to get a handle on his, in his life, he got heavily involved in um, his Muslim, Muslim faith, and pretty soon after reading the Quran for a bit, came across some questions that he wanted to ask the local imam, which he did, uh, over and over again, not really getting satisfaction for his answers. And finally the imam said, listen, you just, you just need to put these questions aside. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm not allowing you to come to the mosque anymore. You need to pray at home. Well, of course, this didn't satisfy Max's questions at all. And one day at a gym, when he was working out, he met uh, Thurston. I hope that's his, how I pronounce his name. And he was talking about, to Thurston about what was going on in his life. And Thurston said, you know, there is a God that you can know. Um, well, this was right up Max's alley. And so he asked, he said, could you tell me about him? Yes, but not here, meet me later. So they met at a different place. And Thurston, who was a Christian, told him about the love of Jesus Christ, which struck Max to the core. And within a few days of questions and answers back and forth with Thurston, Max committed his life to Christ. Um, Thurston said, um, uh, uh, Max said, I felt that something changed immediately in my life. Since I heard that I was adopted, there was no peace, no, no, no night without God, uh, uh, without asking God to take my life. Uh, in my understanding in the Uzbek culture, to be adopted is, a, is not a positive, that's really a negative, because you have been rejected by your parents and that's a thing of shame, and that's one of the things he was struggling with. Since I heard that I was adopted, when he was older, he learned he was, 
There was no peace, no night, without asking God to take my life. But this day I slept well. This day I was happy. Over time, a profound change came over Max, and people began to notice him all around him. Um, in the, um, but also, he began to tell other people about this change that had happened in his life, as people noticed and asked, and he, began, he just couldn't contain the, the joy that he had, and he began to tell other people about Christ, who had come into his life, and how it had changed his life. And it didn't take long for the Uzbek government to kind of zero in and what's going on with this person. Uh, and so they called him in. His boldness for Christ just brought attention to himself. Um, his own father, uh, Max's own father, uh, when the Uzbek government said, listen, your son is doing this and he needs to stop it. His, he and his father had this conversation and Max told him about the change in his life and his father had seen the change in his life and his father said, listen, listen, uh, why don't you just keep the change but just stop talking about this, this religion and stuff. Max said, if I take Jesus from my heart, I will become the old Max again. And he struck a bargain with his father. He said, listen, read the Bible, and if you find anything wrong, um, then I will burn the book. If not, we'll, we'll continue our conversation. A year later, Max's father, his mother, his wife, and his siblings all pledged their faith to Jesus Christ. But the noise of worshiping going on in his apartment soon again caught the attention of the Uzbek government. And so they brought him in to a, uh, an officer of the, uh, of, let's see, put it says, to the office of a court enforcer. A guy's, this guy's name was Miras. And this guy had the ability to either send him to prison or send him to work release or some other kind of punishment. And let's see, what does he say? The officer, he, um, he spent, he, um, Oh, I forgot how much long. Yeah, Max and some of his colleagues took turns bullying Max, Miras, uh, questioning him about his faith uh, to give it up and to uh, uh, pay the debt that he owed. He owed some money. Max remembered trembling in fear, but he also said he felt compelled to preach to his interrogators. As the man grew, as the man saw his boldness, they said they seemed to, he said they seemed to become a little embarrassed and they somewhat eased off on him. The result of which they just eventually wound up just letting him go. Max said, I will pray to Tamiris. I will pray for you. God bless you. Jesus loves you. Um, the police, in the subsequent time, the police brought Max in some 50 times to question him, to interrogate him. What's going on? It's like, what are you doing to stop this? You need to stop that. But the work that Miris had started grew from one little gathering of believers in 2000 to, to over 90 groups that were meeting around this town he was in in about 2007. And of course, this raised the ire uh, of the uh, Uzbek government at, at, again, and he was arrested, and this time his passports were confiscated. They were going to either send him to prison or, uh, or deport him. So to keep him being deported, he went to Kazakhstan, uh, and Almaty is where he, he, he settled in Almaty for a while, but he continued his ministry there at Amity. And one day um, um, in his work, he saw Miras again on the streets of Amity. Miras was, remember, the interrogator who had interrogated him in, in, in Uzbekistan. And Miras stopped him and said, uh, said to him, Max, um, you shared the gospel with me, he said, and it changed my heart. Their relationship, in other words, 
uh, Miris at this point has become a pastor to a small gathering of people in Almaty as a result of Max's ministry to him. The relationship grew and developed at that point, but this didn't keep the government from continuing to hound after. Now, you see, he was in Uzbekistan, I mean, Kazakhstan, but he's a citizen of Uzbekistan. Yeah. Uh, so he was a, an alien. So these, the Kazakh governments at one point said, we're going to deport all aliens. We're going to send them back. And by this time, Max it was, was on the top 10, top, no, top 100 most wanted criminals in Uzbekistan. So he knew if he was deported to back to Uzbekistan, then he would be certainly sent to prison uh, and or executed. So on December the 4th, he was released. The Kazakhs were holding him to deport him. He was released from prison. He was sent to the airport, just go to the airport. There he met with his family, and they all had some, a few belongings packed, and about 50 of his congregation were there who had been praying for him all this time, put him on a plane, and sent him to Sweden, which is where he lives now. Uh, got in, he got away from that situation where he is now ministering to um, uh, that displaced people who are now living in Sweden who are Christians. Uh, Max teaches Christians now, he prepares, as he teaches, he prepares them for the likelihood of persecution so they can face it with hope. Persecution is not new, he, he said, but nobody has been able to destroy God's children. That's Max's story from uh, Uzbekistan. Um, we are not there in our culture. The government is not looking to shut us up, close us down, and ship us off at this point. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, that's not to say that that cannot happen in the future, and those of us who kind of think this way uh, tends to see that this is maybe a real possibility in the relatively near future. Um, so my question is, how can Max and the lady people we talked about last time, Ruth and um, um, Ariello, how can they stand under that kind of persecution, under those kinds of trials, under that kind of displacement of being pulled up and having to flee for your life and looking over your shoulder all the time, waiting for the next ax to fall, the next policeman to tap on your shoulder? How do they stand in that pressure and still retain their faith in Christ and even continue to minister for Christ and plant churches and grow people and do evangelism in the midst of that kind of hostility to the gospel. How do they do that? How, do they, how are they able to stand? And if you remember last time we talked about this, we, I asked a, a, an easier, I think a little bit easier question. And that is, okay, what about... Uh, of course, we, don't, we can't think about that. That's just kind of foreign to us at, these, at this point. What about your money or your time or your talents or your energy or your gifts and abilities? What about those? What are you doing with those? What about your marriages? How are you handling them? How are you living in them? How are you growing in them? What about your parenting? How are you parenting your children? How are you rearing them? How are you nurturing them? Children, what about your obedience to your parents and your love and kindness toward them and your consideration of their guidance in your life? How are you dealing with that? Well, what, wait a minute, what does that have to do with persecution? Persecution. 
And the answer we gave last time, which I think is correct, is has everything to do with persecution. Everything. Um, one of my fellow elders in session last time we were talking about persecution, and he, he said, well, the things that were that, that Brunson, Andrew Brunson, if you remember, the, the EPC pastor who was um, arrested in Turkey for his faith, um, he said, if the things he's telling us are just things that we should be doing as Christians anyway, the things that we should be growing our faith on a daily basis. And he was absolutely correct. You're exactly right. But here's the problem. The way, I think, the way that you and I, in our comfort and in our security and in the peace that we have in our lives now, are dealing with those things, it's almost as if we have all the time and all the, the space in the world to kind of take this at our own pace. And we kind of move things along in a way in our Christian life, which is good, we're moving things along, hopefully we are, in our Christian life in a way that causes us the least amount of stress. What, now, we're reading our Bible, we're studying, we're, we're trying to understand what the gospel says, we're trying to grow our faith, we're trying to say, uh, how do I love my wife? How do I show respect for my husband? How do I obey my parents? We're, we're thinking all these things, we're thinking, well, God, I need some work here. That needs, and we, okay, but we, that'll, that'll take care of itself, that'll go on. I just have these other things I have to do, and I'll do that eventually. But, and we act as if we have all the time in the world. And maybe we do. Maybe our parents did in the past. But when the police come knocking at your door, your time is up. Well, I'll face that when I get to it. Yes, you will. Won't you? But the gospel is very clear, I think, is that in the way that you live your life now, is preparation for what's coming in the, uh, down the road. You don't know what's coming down the road. You make your plans, God directs your steps, right? We have we, the new year is in front of us, and we're thinking, oh, well, resolutions, well, yeah, they don't really matter much, but, you know, I kind of like to do this and that and the other, and we have all these plans that we make. They already hardly ever work out, but there's no big deal because life just goes on. And our, our plans for the future aren't really that challenging, aren't really that you know, I'd like to spend more time watching football. Well, that's a tough one. You know, that, that, that's what we tend to do. But the gospel says that in the time, in what you're doing, oh, good here. Yeah, in the, what you're doing with your time now, in your head, in your mind, you should have that down the road, there may be wonderful things God has planned for me. Praise the Lord. But there may be troubles and trials in my family, in my life, with my health, with other people in the church that I cannot foresee. And I need to be prepared for those. And even further, just a little bit down the road further, there may be that knock at the door one day. There may be that lawyer who puts who bars, uh, or that, uh, uh, that um, a policeman who puts a bar in the door of the church because we are preaching something that is hate speech. It's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to, to see that coming down the road. And how are we going to be prepared to it or prepared for it is the question here. Because what we are doing now is going to determine how prepared we are as Christians to stand with courage and strength and in, with all kinds of fear and trembling as, as um, um, Max was when, when Miros was first investigating him. 
uh, and grilling him on the, in the interrogation room, a little bit scared, and a lot scared, and a lot concerned, but still faithful to the call of Christ to proclaim his glory in the midst of that trial. How did he, how was he able to do that? I'm just shut up. I'm not saying anything. Oh, what do you want to hear? I'm happy to tell you. Instead, in the midst of that, he preached Christ. And we see the results of that. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it leads to greater persecution. Sometimes God works his way in the lives of those people around us. We don't know. We're not in control of that. Our job is to be who Christ wants us to be now with intention, with purpose, with meaning, with significance. This is not, a time, this is not playtime. This is not recess. This is work. This is a time to apply yourself to the, to the gospel of Christ because you don't know what good things or what difficult things or what trials are down the road. So you need to be prepared to lollygag our way through this culture and praise God that he's given us the opportunity to sit back and breathe and worship and speak as we wish within, within the limits of the, you know, our heavenly father, the U.S. government, to the degree to which they have allowed us to do that and still allow us to do that. Allow us, knows what it said. But see, in Uzbekistan, they don't allow Max to do that. He did it anyway. Is he, he's a criminal. Of course he is. That's who we are. When the culture says, no Christ, we are criminals. When the government says, don't say this, and the gospel says, you say it, we say it. And then, well, what about the consequences? That's what you receive. That's what this world's going to give you. Christ screamed it at his apostles. Well, he didn't really, but he taught it over and over again to his apostles. You are going to undergo persecution. I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. That's who you are. Defenseless. Surrounded by those who want to tear you apart. That's where you're going. That's where you're going to live. That's where Max lives. And it's not really a, a whole lot of a stretch to think that one day that's where we will be. Automatically, right now, you and I are guarding our language. The things that we said five years ago, three years ago, we don't say that anymore. Now, sometimes for good reason. Sometimes because we know that the culture will jump down our throats. So what do we do? And sometimes that's a good thing. But to automatically to give in to a culture without thinking it through and praying it through and reading God's word is what God's word says about it. To automatically do this when somebody says, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, it's just cowardice. Sorry, wish there was a better word for it. I could dress it up. We're being wise. No, you're being a coward. You see? And so what does Uzbekistan require? What does Kazakhstan require? What does Nigeria require? What does South Mexico require? What does all of those countries that are persecuting Christians right now require? To be judicious in our answer or to be bold in our answer for Christ? The gospel calls you to boldness, not to timidity. Not to timidity. Now, yeah. So these small things, how you live your life, has everything to do 
with how you will respond when there's that knock on the door. You see? So we can, there's no, there, there is a need to be aware of this and to say, okay, yes, intentionally, uh, there are things that can help me better if this persecution is, comes at my door. There are things, that it's all part of the gospel, but please, 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 brothers and sisters in Christ, help me, help me, and I, hopefully I will be able to help you to do that with intentionality, with purpose and with meaning, and with work. Uh, uh, those of you who, who know me know that I taught chemistry for about 20 years. And I used to always tell my students, because they always came to my class with the, the, you know, in the first two weeks of school, with, you know, waving the banner, and this is the year I'm going to make all A's, and, uh, you, know, and this, you know, I know chemistry is hard, but man, I'm going to buckle down when he's telling you stuff. And they get in the first two weeks, and they just slap them right in the face. At some point down the road, you start the whining and the complaining, and the see people start backing off and those kinds of things. Because chemistry, as you both, all of us know, is, is not a really fun subject sometimes. It's, for those of us who like it, it is. But for most people, it's really hard. And it takes a shift in your mental educational mind to, to, to combine both math and science. And it's really hard sometimes. And so when people are come to, students begin to come to me, and they ask, and they're looking for the magic pill. They're looking for the golden bullet. They're looking for the answer that will unlock the secret of chemistry so that now I never have to worry about it again. And my response to them always is, chemistry is work. You don't get through chemistry by a magic bullet. You get through chemistry by applying yourself on a consistent basis, day to day, doing the work, taking the notes, studying the notes, reading the text, working the problems, bringing your questions to class, and, and having those answered. If you need extra help, come get extra help. But it is nothing more than that. One foot in front of the other, one day in front of the other, with intentionality and purpose, you work that subject. And as, as befuddled as you are, as just, I don't know, what is that, I don't know, I can't do it, as much as you are, then eventually it gets like, well, oh, oh, yeah, that's how I do that. That's how I do that. Okay, I kind of got that. You begin to catch on. At some point down the road, I'll stop and say, I'll have a whole bunch of stuff on the board. Big, this big equation stuff. And they're all, oh, I said, how many of you understand this? And about half the class will raise their hand. I'm saying, see there? If I had given you this the first day of school, how many of you have understood this? But now you do. Why? Because you put the work in. Because you did the work, because you did the study. If you would sit back and go, what's the magic bullet? And I have all the time in the world. I don't have to worry about chemistry. And I'll make this grade. will just, you know, and whatever the grade is, it's perfectly fine. It's no big deal. You know, because oh, we're all different. You know, we don't want to do the same thing. So it's okay. Then you will fail my course. Yeah. What about your Christian life? Isn't that the same thing? That if you look for the magic bullet... That's going to solve all your spiritual answers because it will grow you into a spiritual giant. You'll never find it because it's not there. The bullet's already been given to you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And your ability to serve him and to love him on a daily basis. Work it out with fear and trembling, as Ephesians says. That doesn't mean laze it out. It doesn't mean saute, saunter your way through, through it with, with, with uh, Coke and, 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 and chips. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you work it out. It is work. It is, 
effort. It is intentionality. It is working, living with purpose, living with meaning, serving Christ now. That's what it is. Or else, or you, you can scale it down. The trials and the tribulations of normal life, and we have to admit in a first world country, it's not really that great. If we live in a second world or a third world country, they would be significant. Sometimes we're significant. We have people in this congregation who are having all kinds of health problems and who are looking for work and all kinds of things going on in their life that we are glad is not going on in ours. That they need, that we pray for, that we try to help, that we are concerned about. And those are hard. When those things, when, if it's not the persecution, when those things come, what are you going to do? As a, as a lay counselor, one of the first things I hear when I talk to people, and this is just the way we are, and one of the reasons is because they have never got a chance to do this, is the first thing I hear is about two hours worth of just ranting and raving, complaining, and this is, how did this happen? How can you, God do this to me? And why does this happen to this? And, blah, blah, blah. and that, just sit back and listen, because that person's got a, he's got a belly full of stuff that he needs to say that nobody wants to hear, and he knows it, he or she. So they come and they sit down and they get to talk and spill their guts out. Praise the Lord for that. I'll be happy to listen to you. But at some point, you have to stop and say, now what are we going to do? This is where you are. I get it. Let's go from here. Let's, you and I, let's work this out together. Let's see if we can find a solution that, that helps you. And, and, and we'll, walk, we'll walk through that with you. But it's the intentionality to do it. That's the reason three-quarters of the people who don't come and talk to us, that's what they're doing. The pain is not big enough. The problems are not insurmountable. I'm not quite tired of them enough so that I'm, you know, I, can, I can deal with this. I'll do it. Well, I've got plenty of time. I'll, I'll handle this. Well, it'll be different next time. Well, well I'll do it different. Now. And all of these things that they're kind of doing, and when that breaks down, then they come and talk to Carter or me or one of the other lay counselors. Because they can't take it any further. And that's God's grace in your life. That's God saying to you and me, you can't deal with this. I've been trying to tell you for 10 years that you need some help in this. And you've been waddling your way through thinking that, oh, well, I'll drink a Coke and have some chips and it'll be great. That'll work out, no problem. And sometimes, you know, magically it does. It's amazing how God sometimes works in people's lives. But for most of us, it just gets worse. And finally, we just can't stand it anymore, and we go and talk to somebody about it. Praise the Lord. Which we should have been doing all along. But notice, the, notice, notice. You have to, see, see, see we wait until, let's put, it, put our analogy back into the persecution thing. We wait until there's the knock on the door. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I, I can't deal with this. Because we have been, had all this time, all this time, to grow and develop and mature our faith with intent, with, with purpose and meaning. And we have just walked our way through. Okay. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And then we're, now we're facing the lion. Now the prison term. You hear the clank of the clink, the closing of the prison doors. Yeah. So these small things have everything to do with the way that we live our lives. Um, 
Yeah. See, the, okay. How do I know if, if this is the way I'm living my life here now, how do I know what part of this helps me be prepared to, to be a man of courage or woman of courage and strength uh, and faith when the hard times come? What are that? Well, that's a very kind of easy answer. You see, the things, the things of the gospel, this, this, the, 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 the parts of the gospel that do not or are not affecting the way you live your life now are the things that you don't believe. You see? That the things that we are refusing to do we're not yielding ourselves to it. We're not bowing to this. We're bowing to our own way of figuring things out and, and having our own situation and, and trying to live in a way that kind of gets these things done somehow, put a Band-Aid on it, put, you know, patch it up. But, but maybe I can hobble along for a little bit longer and it, it won't be that much damaging. And the thing, to the degree that we're refusing to yield those parts of our lives to the, whatever the gospel is speaking to us clearly, those are the things that we're refusing to be obedient to. It's really the things that we really don't believe. You have mental assent to them. You know that the gospel speaks them and you know that they are truth. But it's not really true for you. It's not really working for me. Or I'm not going to really do that. Just, re just direct rebellion. I can figure this thing out on my own. See? Um, Gentlemen, to the a few illustrations. To the degree that you are short, harsh, resentful, inattentive, demanding, and neglectful of your wife, to that degree you don't believe the Ephesians 5, 29, 25 passage that says, Husbands, love your wife. Do you? Or else you would be not as short less harsh, less resentful, more attentive, less demanding, less neglectful. Wouldn't you? Ladies, to the degree you are critical, demanding, distant from your husbands, controlling and manipulative, to that degree you do not believe Ephesians 5.33, which says wives respect your husbands, are you? No. That person that you have not forgiven, who hurt you and damaged you and took advantage of you six months ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is the degree that you do not believe Ephesians 4 and Matthew 6 when it says you forgive others. You don't believe it because you don't do it. Yeah, but I don't want to forgive that person. That's not the point, is it? Did he say, oh, uh, forgive this person uh, when, you, when you feel like it? I don't find, show me, please. I'll be, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in bold. On my, I'll have that embossed on the front of my Bible here. Because he doesn't say that. He just says, this is what you do. Doesn't matter what that person did to you. Doesn't matter what you feel about that person. Your job is to forgive that person because as Christ forgave you, it's way more sins that you've committed against him than this person has committed against you. Uh, it's hard? Yes. 
Yes, it's hard. Easy? No. Don't be foolish. As a matter of fact, that's what makes it more, that's what gives more glory to Christ. When it is so difficult that you find that you almost, you have to force yourself to do it, and you force yourself to forgive this person, and you do. The bells ring in heaven. The angels shout and sing for joy. Because that which was difficult for you to do, that which you refused to do, you submitted yourself to Christ to do, and you did it. That prepares you for this. You see, it's that, it's that, it's that dread in your belly, the thing that we're avoiding and the problems that we have on a daily basis. We're avoiding them. Why, why, why do we avoid them? Why am I not forgive this person? Why am I, I just harsh and critical with my wife? Why am I ignoring my, my husband? Why, why am I doing that? Well, you know you shouldn't. Of course we know that. We do it anyway because I can get by with it. Because to do otherwise is hard. Welcome to Mr. Downing's chemistry class. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the gospel. Yes, it's hard. But this is what you are. And this is what you will do. And this is what a Christian is. And this is how you honor Christ. And this is how you show your loyalty to him. This is how you love him. And this is how you love others. Here it is. Do this. In spite of the fact that you don't want to do it. Do it anyway. In obedience to Christ. And you see where, when that knock comes on the door... And you're in the inter interrogation room, and the lights are on you, and the questions are directed at you, and regardless of how you answer them, you could be under the jail for the rest of your life, or released. And you're, we should, and we want, and we have a tendency to shade our answers and to and to agree with what the interrogator is saying, and all the pressure that comes to us, and all the harm that could come to our families, and all the things that are just horrible that we could think possibly. And you have all you have to do is just shut up, just shut up easy but the gospel says no in most cases you're my servant you proclaim my word even when it's hard so how will you do this if we're if we're ignoring everything over here if we're just following the easy path the broad way instead of the narrow way that's hard um, the Ephesians passage that we looked at tells us a number of things about this. And the, the, the way we, I started this little, this little mini-series, if we want to call it that, is that in looking at what the gospel says about who we are, uh, you know, you are chosen, you are redeemed, you are adopted, you are sealed, and all the implications of that, and I refer you back to the previous sermon. You can find it on the, um, on the website, the Cornerstone website. Uh, we talked about what that means. Because how you view yourself, or how, rather how God views you, determines how you live your life. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's who I am um, as versus who I think I am or who I want to be or who, uh, who I'm making myself out to be. God says, this is who you are as my child. And we went through a whole list of those things. And then what we were going to go over in more detail, don't have the time now, 
uh, was to talk about what that means. What, what are the implications of that? Yeah, well, let me, let me go back just a bit before I get to that, just a bit. Um, this whole thing about working out what the gospel says, taking this book as we read it and study it, not as some kind of Sunday school exercise, not as only, not as just some sort of form of, well, I got to read my Bible today, and we just read through it. But reading this as God's directive to me, as his instructions as to how I am to live my life before the watching world. Yeah, 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 before the watching world. You see, because what you believe, as, as good as that is, fantastic, thank you, praise the Lord, and praise the Lord, we have a good Bible-believing Reformed pastor, because that, that's bedrock. But if it stays here as a, an object of your belief, that's all it is. And the gospel just screams at us, you've got to work this out in your life. That's what growing the Christian life is about. So as we read this book as God's instruction to me, and we're confronted with it as we will be, then what's your job? Oh, well, I got to get down and journal that. Okay, fine, good. Close that. Okay, now it's really fine. We just keep going. Just go right through it. Instead of stopping and saying, this is a part of my life that needs to change, and going about and taking the steps to change it. Um, imagine that you are a football player, and you have some ability, and you join a team that is a um, pretty good team. I mean, they, they've got some record to show it. They've got a great coach. They've got great talent, and this coaching recruited you to come and play for his team. And about two days after you were there, there's this other player who's not quite as talented as you are, not quite as strong or big or fast as you are, in the locker room and says, listen, listen, I've got a better idea about how to run this team. Um, I think that, I think that you know, the coach is all wet here, and there's a bunch of us who, who want you because we think you, you can help us and we can help you, you know, get further down the road in this game of football than this coach and this team would. Now, I understand, see, this guy's younger than you, he's... Uh, um, not as talented as you are, but he's on the same team. Now, there's your first choice. Here's your second choice. You're at home, and you get a phone call, and on the, uh, it says, can I speak to your son, the, to your parent who answered the phone, and you hand the phone over, and it's Nick Saban. And Nick Saban says, son, we've been, we were aware of your talent, and we've been kind of keeping tabs on you, and we think you are the future of Alabama football. So this is what we want to do. We want to fly a jet down there once a month and fly you back up over to Birmingham, and we're going to coach you for a whole weekend on football and techniques. We're going to bring our top players. We're going to work you out. We're going to show you how to work out, how to eat, what, what, what to do. We're going to work you out on your sprints, on your timing, on your, on your hitting, on your football techniques. So we're going to prepare you to be the shining star in Alabama football for the next, for the next future. Those are your two options. Which one would you choose? It's, it's no choice. There's absolutely no choice whatsoever. You see, to the, to the degree that I am going to work out what this book says really depends upon what value I place on the person who has adopted me. 
what value I place on the person who says, do this, be this, love this, make disciples, spread the gospel. To the degree that I, I hold that person in high regard, to the degree, that's the degree to which I will be obedient to his word. Just like Nick Saban, he calls you. Will you kind of like go on a ho-ho eating a binge and sleep the rest of your life and say, I got it made now because I'm going to be the next star and you don't work out and you don't go to the training camps and you don't put the work in and you don't learn the drills and you don't learn the plays. Or you think you're going to make it to Alabama football? I don't think, I don't, he'll drop you like a hot rock. No question. Because you know the glory of Alabama football and you know the, the aura of Nick Saban and what a coach he is and what he can do for your future and know that your future is in his hands and he's going to take special care for you. You would do everything he says, including exactly put a timer on how much time you sleep because he's telling you the right things to do. And so therefore, I'm going to bust a gut to get them done because you respect the person who recruited you, who adopted you. What does that say about our relationship of how much we honor and how much we hold in awe the person who has adopted us? If all we're doing is waddling through our life, drinking a Coke and eating naps. Well, it's overwork itself. I'll, don't worry about it. I don't have to do that. That's too hard. I'll work this. I'll do it this way. I can do it better. Well, you know, that's, the, that's that. We don't have to be too religious now. You want to. You want to you know, take this thing in balance. You can't just go to freak out and go to the extreme. Then try that with Nick Saban. Ain't going to work. What makes us think we can get by with that when the Lord of the universe has adopted us and he is the person that we report to on a daily basis and who watches over and protects and guides and leads us while I'm leading you right in the right place. I'm showing you exactly what you need to do. I'm, I'm, t I'm taking your weakness and I'm confronting you in that weakness so that you will work through it with my help and trusting and relying upon me so that you can be stronger here and you refuse. Do you think I'm going to go back and make you a first string player on the, on the team when you don't have the physical ability, the knowledge, or the desire to be a, a, an active part of that playing team, of that team? You're going to be sidelined over here. Remember Esther? If you don't go to the king, Esther, God will find a, a, a way to get his work well done. And it will not include you. But who knows that God has not brought you to this place for a reason? Beautiful words. That's you and me. That's you and me. We're here by God's grace. He's brought us here because we're in this place for his purpose at this time to do what he wants us to do. And one of the things he wants you to do is mature your faith in Christ. It's to do the hard thing when it's hard and not skip out. And that is going to prepare us for this. Um, last time we, we closed with um, illustration about the young pastor. I'll tell you about that guy. Brilliant man. There's a different pastor, different... Uh, denomination uh, he was different time different city the young pastor who um, brilliant young man uh, had a wife and kids um, just you would think the perfect pastor but he was a horrible parent his, his father had been very harsh and cruel to him and very caustic and very 
um, he would either ignore the kids or when he would get angry with them, he'd blow up and, you know, just really almost to physically abuse them. And it was not involved. His mother was doing everything. She was exhausted. And uh, anyway, he was just not a nice person. So this young man grew up really resenting his father, staying away as much as possible, came to know Christ, matured in Christ uh, to the degree that he wanted to be in the ministry, brilliant student, very good guy. But when he had his own children, his things began to show up because he was fearful of being his own father, so he would back off and not discipline his kids. And so when he, but he would just get enough of it, then he would just explode, and he would find himself just you know, doing the same things his father was doing. Then he would, oh, be full of regret. Oh, my God, just terrible. I, I shouldn't, why should I be doing this? But then he would back off again and see what he's doing. Who does that sound like? His father. So trying to avoid his father's parenting, he ran right into it was doing exactly the same thing. But the point is, that he, part is, he had no earthy idea how to, not, how to do it otherwise. He had, uh, well, you need to do something different. Blank. What? Had no connection with that. Well, you need to have story time with your kids. Blank. How do I do that? What do I do? What stories? Uh, how, do I, how, do I, uh, how do I talk to them? What if they ask, ask questions? You know, it's... Uh, paralyzed with indecision. So he had enough of it. It was affecting his marriage and affecting his kids, for sure. His kids were all over the place. They were, you can imagine they were just hellions because they were doing anything to get the father's attention, to bring him in to, to straighten up. So we had to talk about his father and a bunch of other things, but this is what we did. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to Read your Bible. As you read your Bible, I want you to make a note of everything that says, every passage that talks about parenting, particularly being a father. And I want you to write that down on a three-by-five card. And I want you to read that. When, what you find, I want you to, just, you know, wherever, just as you're reading your Bible, and you write that down, I want you to read that on a daily, whatever, how much, wherever you find it, just put it on a three-by-five, and then read through those cards before you do your Bible study every day. And he found things like, um... The children are a blessing from the Lord, as it says in Psalm 127. Uh, and, uh, it, it talks about fathers, particularly in Deuteronomy 6. Um, uh, repeat them, God's commands, again to your children. Talk about them when you walk, when you're at home, when you're on the road, uh, when you go to bed. Um, talk about discipline. Talk about discipline your children with love. And, and don't frustrate them. Don't bring them to, um, um, to, to um, uh, what? Frustration. Yeah, frustration, that sort of thing. And, uh, so that they resent you. Um, speak to them the truth and love. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. You have to discipline your children. God disciplines you. You should be disciplining your children. Uh, and then it also talks about listening well before speaking. It talks about speaking softly and carefully. It talks about loving with a humble, gentle, patient attitude. It talks about uh, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, all those kinds of things. Building up kindness and compassion and forgiveness, and, uh, expressing humility, sympathy, and love. That's what the gospel, that's a few things the gospel says about parenting and how we parent. This guy was really far from that. But what he needed to do was look at the scripture face on, hardcore, and understand that this is what he should be doing and to read this through daily so that he puts this new message. This is what you do when you parent, when you parent in his head. This, I have a new list of instructions. Not my, the one my father gave me, but the one God gives me. Now the question is, how do you live that out? So we pick something, like spending 15 minutes a day, two days a week with your kids. That's what you're going to do. 
Okay, now, easy, simple, short, sweet. Uh, you and your wife talk about it, and you decide how you're going to spend that 15 minutes. You can plan it, you can not plan it, you can play football, you can go to the park, you, whatever you want to do, but you spend that 15 minutes a day, twice a day, twice a week with your kids. No other, other time, no business, no wife, no nothing, just the kids. Well, it was really hard. He didn't know what to do, he was kind of lost. You know, how, you know what we do, what we do. We kind of started, okay, I'm going to do this, and then we kind of just, well, it's hard, it's difficult, well, i got to go to this, and well, this meeting that happened, and we just peter off and not do it. Well, that took a long time for him to get in the habit of doing that. Then the, the next step was, okay, now you're going to do, um, uh, you're going to plan one Saturday event a month. You're going to spend two, 15, minute time, uh, 15 minutes a day for two days a week. Now you're going to plan one activity, one Saturday activity. You plan it. Not your wife, not your kids, you plan it. You set up, you make the arrangements, and you take your, you take your kids outside the house, you go to the park, you can go to the, uh, what do you want, but you plan that out, and you spend that time with your kids. And we just step by step by step by step. And as we went along, he was talking to his wife. You talk, you debrief it, you talk about your wife about this. You ask her what you do, and how to do it, and that kind of stuff. And, and what do you think we did here? How do you need to change this? On and on, and just very simple, simple, little, easy steps. Not a problem. First thing that happened, his kids settled down. They stopped being as much of a hellion as they were before. Because now they have something in their lives that's positive. Dad's attention. Dad's time. And they would ask about it. Is it, is it time to, for our Saturday? No, it's not time for Saturday. Well, when is it? Well, two weeks. Okay. And all those, you know, that's, that started happening. He started being comfortable with this. And we just stepped it up from there. Not a hard thing to do. Not a hard thing to do. But if you don't intend to do it, and if you don't take the steps to do it, what do you think would happen to that family and this, and this pastor? He would probably lose his pastorate. He'd maybe even lose his wife. Certainly his kids would resent him. It would be a mess. And it was a mess because he had ignored the clear teaching of Scripture, which he knew very well, and just doing it in his life. You see? That's where you and I are. Little bitty steps on a daily basis, challenging ourselves to live the gospel life in reality and not in our heads. This is not abstract theology. This is meant to be applied. This is applied theology. This is meant to be worked out in your life. It's not some, something that scholars discuss only. It's something that we, you and I, live out. This is an instruction of how the church is to be. This is an instruction about how parents are to be, how husbands are to be, how wives are to be, how we are to be before Christ and before the watching world. Because the watching world does look. How do you know when you've done it substantially? When the world sees it and recognizes it for what it is. Then you know you've done it substantially. And that's the intention here. Perfectly? No. Nobody will do it perfectly. Really? That's your responsibility. And that... The struggle and work. That sounds like a lot of work. Again, welcome to Mr. Downing's chemistry class. Welcome to the Christian life. It is hard work. Are there joys? Of course there are. The, the fellowship that we have, the time you spend with fellow believers, the, 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 the peace that God gives you, the, the illumination he gives you, the, the results that, that come from your appointment, all that is part of the Christian life. Knowing the, the, our inheritance, we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, and we have brothers and sisters, oh, there, of course, there are benefits and payoffs. But there's hard, 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 hard work. 
that if we don't get about doing it now in these little small things, when there's that knock at the door, we're not going to do it so well. And we won't be like Max very much. Pray to hope the Lord that we would be. And I hope the Lord that, would, that would, we would be that way because we've seen the wisdom of doing what God wants us to do in the hard places now, as hard as they are and as easy as they are. What about your life? What are you avoiding? What are you struggling with? Are you struggling with anything in terms of your Christian life? The, that point, that point is the point that God has assigned for you to work on. That's your job now. Carter's is willing to help. The elders are willing to help. The lay counseling group's willing to help. The church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, is willing to help. Let us help you. Let us help each other limp our way to maturity in Christ so that we are prepared when the trials and tribulations of ordinary life and maybe the persecution comes, we can stand with Max and with Anna and with Aurelio. And people can look down and say, there's the body of Christ. That's where God is. Let's pray. Father, yes, many things have to be done. Many parts of our lives are in rags and tatters. So point to us those things that are most important right now and give us the courage and the strength to endure through them to work out those hard things and to make the hard decisions and to talk to the people that are difficult to talk to and to push ourselves to, to trust Christ in this and to take advantage of the help that's available here at Cornstone so that we may be individually and corporately the people you want us to be here and now so that we are prepared when Satan takes, makes his best and takes his best aim at us and our lives are a mess. Bless us to those ends we pray. In Jesus' name.